we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Open God's Word and be finding, please, the New Testament book of Luke, would you? Be finding Luke chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in just a moment with Luke chapter 6 and verse number 6. My grandfather has taught me, he's my hero, as a young preacher, that I should never expect God to preach through me what he's not first preached to me. And the truth is, as I began to meditate and pray what I ought to preach, God led me to this text again. And as most of you know, this is a really somber time in my family. And during this somber time, God brought me back to this really familiar text. And something I love about Scripture and the God of Scripture is no matter how much we know the Bible, God has a very special way of making the Bible seem new to our souls. You know what I'm talking about. And in Luke chapter 6, we're going to go to a text I believe we all know. A list of names I believe we all know, but there's a message here for this hour. A message that God has used like a sweet balm to my soul to bring healing, to strengthen my faith in Him. Luke chapter 6, I hope you found your place. And before we read, I'd like to ask you this question. You, as a child of God, you as a Christian, you have access to the very throne room of God, the creator of the universe. And we have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to ask of that Creator absolutely anything. So you, in your prayer life, have you ever, or your family, have you ever asked God for something so specific, something so obvious? Your family agrees together in prayer, and yet it's like God answers that prayer with the complete opposite thing. Has that happened to you? Has it? Well, with hindsight in mind and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can go to Luke chapter 6 and we can discover Jesus Christ going through something very similar. Luke chapter 6 and verse 6, I hope you found your place. The Word of God says this, And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that He, being Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life... Or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, 
Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. I'd like for us to consider the context of this passage before we get into the application of the message. Firstly, we must understand this, that from the text we realize that Jesus Himself, God the Son, the Son of God, is omniscient. In this text, He knew the thoughts of the scribes and the Pharisees which were plotting against Him. They were trying to set Him up. He knew and knows everything. Not only that, but He's omnipotent. That means He's all-powerful. He can do absolutely anything. We discover in the text He heals the hand that was withered of this man in the synagogue. Yet although He's omniscient, and although He's omnipotent, watch now, don't miss this, He's obedient. In perfect harmony with who He is, a part of the Godhead, He was obedient to God the Father. How do we realize that? We'll look at the text in verse 12. After this, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. He's obedient because, listen now, prayer is the greatest act of obedience. Although he knew everything that was going to happen and although he could do anything he wanted to do, he was still in submission to his Father's will. Therefore, he comes apart into a mountain to pray. And just by the way I think, I began to ask myself this question. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, why did He pray? Why would the God who can do anything and knows everything, why would He pray? Well, look at verse 11. It says, And they were filled with madness. Can I say it this way? Those around Him were filled with fury. And watch now. And they communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. For the first time in Jesus Christ, one of the first times in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, He's facing resistance. He's facing opposition. And watch, because he's in submission to his Father's will, he longs for his Father's assistance. Therefore, that creates in him a response of prayer. Why did he pray? Because those around him were opposing him. Why did he pray? Because he was facing resistance. He needed his Father's help. And he being perfect. He knowing everything. He being the sinless one, the one who knew no sin, goes to his Father to pray. Do you reckon that his father answered his prayer? I believe he did. He absolutely did. So the context tells us that he prayed. But how did God the Father, my next question, how did God the Father answer the prayer of God the Son? Look at verse number 13. And when it was day. Jesus Christ had just spent all night in prayer to God. And the very next thing that happens in his life is, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. Can I tell you how God the Father answered the prayer of God the Son? According to the Scriptures, He gave Him disciples. Jesus Christ was in need of assistance because of the resistance that He was facing from this world. So His Father gifts Him these disciples, these apostles. Have you ever considered that the apostles were an answer to Christ's prayer? But let's take it a step farther. In the context of my life, where I am today, the context of your life, where you are today, let's take it a step farther. You know the list. It always begins with Simon Peter, but normally and always it ends with this one man, the most problematic of all the disciples, the most despicable, the greatest disgrace to Jesus Christ ever. Look at the man at the end of the list and Judas Iscariot. 
What I'd like for you to do is underline that name, Judas Iscariot. Perhaps you'd like to circle it. And then go to verse number 12 and circle the word pray or circle the word prayer. And I want you to connect the two in your Bible. Because this is the certain application I'm trying to get to today. The certain application that God has just pressed on my life. And it has literally changed the way I'm thinking about what I'm going through in this instance. Judas Iscariot was an answer to Christ's prayer. Adrian Rogers said it would be the strangest answer to prayer. Think about it. The man that caused Jesus Christ the most problems, the man that led Jesus literally into his own persecution, into his own death, that very same man, that very same problem was an answer to Jesus Christ, God's Son's prayer. And with that in mind, I'd like to preach underneath this heading. And with God's help, when God answers my prayer with the problem. When God answers my prayer with the problem, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I possess not the ability to deliver your message on my own. I need your help today. I need your assistance. And I know so certainly that this is the message you have for this hour, so would you get me out of the way? I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm just here to show them Jesus of Scripture. So please help me to do just that. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word. Comfort those who are grieving. Strengthen those who are weak. And place this as a burr in our soul that you might bring it to remembrance when we go through these certain situations. And we'll cease not to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Christ Jesus' name we ask them. Amen. When God answers my prayer, when God answers your prayer with a problem, this is the first thing we ought to do. We ought to realize what prayer is. That's simple enough, isn't it? Realize what prayer is. Look at verse 12 once again. This is Jesus Christ's example for us now. And it came to pass in what? Those days. The very same days that these men were filled with fury, the very same days that Jesus was facing opposition and resistance in his life, in those very same days, watch now, prayer is a response. Prayer is a response. You remember when Paul admonishes us in the New Testament, he says, to pray without what? Ceasing. That doesn't mean we ought always to be in the habit of prayer. It means we ought always to be in the spirit of prayer. And that's what Jesus is in right here. By the way, he's still in the spirit of prayer. What's he doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for me and for you. Jesus is still praying for us. Prayer is a response. And when we take on this attitude of Christ, when we take on this spirit of prayer, prayer then becomes our very first response in these troubling situations, in these troubling times, not our last resort. That's how prayer was designed by God. Prayer is a response. Continue reading now, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. Prayer is not only a response. Prayer is a choice. Prayer is a choice. Have you ever noticed that prayer requires intentional effort? I've noticed in my life personally that if I don't set aside a certain time to pray and I don't set aside a certain place to pray, the odds are I'm not going to pray that day. If I don't begin my day with prayer, I'm not going to continue my day with prayer. And Lord knows I probably won't end my day in prayer because I don't have that very spirit of prayer that God calls me to have. Prayer is a choice. 
It's a commandment of God that we ought to follow. Continue reading. He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Prayer is a conflict. This is the reason why we don't want to make the choice to pray. You're carrying with you right now. You're saved. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. But you drag around with you like on a chain this unredeemed flesh that you just can't seem to get rid of. And you know what the most contrary thing is for that flesh to do? Pray. <laughs> Prayer is a conflict. It's the hottest battlefield you'll ever step foot on in the Christian life. In the moments that you pray, you're dying to self. In the moments that you pray, you're saying, I don't need me. I need thee. Lord, intervene. That's why our flesh hates, detests prayer. It's a conflict. You're battling yourself. You're battling the spiritual forces of Satan in this world. No wonder Satan's always trying to sidetrack us from the very first work, the greatest work, and that is prayer. Prayer is a choice. Continue reading. It says, and he continued all night in prayer. Watch now, to God. What do you have in your lap? The Word of God? The Bible? Because we have this complete revelation of God Himself from Genesis to Revelation, we don't have to wonder what God wants to say anywhere more. We have a more sure word. And in these moments with God's Word and this area of grace, we know that God is always speaking. And prayer is not just something that you spontaneously decide to do. Prayer begins in the heart of God. Galatians 4 tells us that we have this Spirit living inside of us who's constantly crying what? Abba, Father. When you say you forget to pray, that's not true. You don't forget to pray. You neglect prayer. I neglect prayer. When we do not pray, it's not because we've forgotten. It's because we've chosen not to. Prayer is a reply. God is speaking. God is speaking today in this age through His Word. And our response to Him is prayer. Prayer is a reply. That's what prayer is. Secondly, I want you to understand this. Recognize the real problem. Now, later on in the message, we're going to understand that Judas seems to be the problem. But ultimately, from God's perspective, Judas is not the real problem. Even in this text, Judas was not the real problem. Just imagine inserting yourself into this text for the moment. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a moment. What would you have done? Those around you are plotting against you, trying to wait for you to do wrong? Would you have fought your way through it trying to defend your opinion and your preferences? Would you have faked your way like the scribes and Pharisees just doing what was ritualistic in your mind? Or would you have been like Christ and have done what was right regardless of what day it was? Can I tell you what we would have done? Excuse me. Can I tell you what I would have done in that moment? You could look at verse 12 and if this were about the life of Isaac, you might as well just put a big old X across it. You know what we do? What the real problem is? The real problem in our lives is we bypass prayer. You see, God places those moments of resistance from this world. God places that opposition in your life kind of like a roadblock. And what He longs for you to do at those roadblocks is to come to Him in prayer. But so often in my life when those roadblocks come, instead of coming to God in prayer as a response and as a reply to Him, I, I just detour around it and rely on my own wit and my own merit to get through the problems of life. We bypass prayer. That is the great problem. You want to know what the greatest act of disobedience is? It's prayerlessness. It's prayerlessness. And if this text were about me, I shamefully say, I wouldn't have had a verse 12. I wouldn't have had that moment where I come aside and go out into a mountain and pray all night to God the Father and long for His help. That, that wouldn't be said true of me. 
Can I tell you what I would do and what I so often do? I treat prayer like some magic eraser. You've used a magic eraser before, haven't you? They're incredible. They get rid of so many random things, and I don't know how they do it. You get them wet, they work. You keep them dry, they work. But I treat prayer like a magic eraser in my life. And in my flesh, I'll come up to God in carnality and say, Okay, Lord, here's what I want gone out of my life. Take this away. God, you see this financial problem in my life? I want you to take this away. God, you see this health malady in my life? I want you to take this away. Prayer's not some magic eraser. Look, God didn't design prayer to erase our problems. God designed prayer so that it would equip us to endure our problems. Please don't forget that. Don't bypass prayer, because that's the real problem. Now let's get to the text. You say, when God answers my prayer with a problem, what do you mean by that? And how do I respond to it? This is how you respond to it. You need to rest in God's purpose. You need to rest in God's purpose. Look at the name again in verse 16. It says, And Judas, the brother of James, watch now, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've studied Scripture on your own or you've been in these discipleship groups we have, you've probably come across the idea that in Scripture, God uses names to reveal to us certain things about people or places. Maybe where these people have come from or who these people are, revealing to us their personality. It's called nomenclature. God is using that here in the life of Judas Iscariot. Would you like to know what the name Judas literally means? Jehovah leads. That problematic disciple, the one who caused all the problems, the one that kissed the door of heaven on his way to hell, the one that despised and betrayed Jesus for a lump of silver, Jehovah led him there. And you know what happens when problems come into my life? I forget about the providence of God. When these Judases arise and these things that I don't want there, or I'm praying, oh God, remove this, and yet they stay, I say, that's not supposed to be there. But God in His providence uses these Judases for a greater work, for a greater purpose. Do you have a Judas in your life? Do you? Something specific? Judases are hurtful to you. Judas was one of the 12 closest men to Christ on this whole earth. Don't you think it hurt our lovely Lord when he betrayed him? Imagine that all that Judas was exposed to, and yet it didn't mean anything to that son of perdition because he had a greater ulterior motive in his mind. Judas is hurtful to you. Sometimes Judases are unrecognizable to others. You remember in the latter portion of the gospel records when the disciples are sitting around and Jesus reveals to them, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And what was their immediate response? Well, Lord, is it I? Surely it's not me, Lord. And Peter boldly stands up and says his fit. You remember all that. Not one of them, not one of the disciples had a sneaking suspicion that it was Judas Iscariot. That's because Judas's, if we're going to use him as a type for a moment, Judas's can be unrecognizable to others. But watch now. Jesus Christ knew all along that Judas was to come. Do you think he did? Listen to this verse in John chapter 6. It says, For Jesus knew from the beginning. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Jesus was not caught off guard. Jesus was not surprised that Judas was going to betray him, and yet the other disciples were. And this Judas in your life, whatever it might be, whatever this heartache or this headache or this hardship you might be going through is other people might not see it. Other people might not be feeling what you feel. 
It might be hurting you personally and not affecting anyone else around you. But can I tell you, our Savior, our great high priest, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He underwent the most serious and exacerbating Judas of all time, a literal person that betrayed him to his death. And yet, he cares for you. This same Jesus. Judas's are hurtful to us. They're personal to us. They're unrecognizable to other people sometimes. But please don't miss this. Judas's are needful for us. The will of God the Father could not have been fulfilled. Could not have been fulfilled without Judas Iscariot. And that Judas in your life, whatever it is that God's bringing to your mind right now, whatever it is that God is bringing to my mind right now, that very Judas is needful for my life, for God to fulfill His good and perfect will. Don't believe me? Go to John chapter 13, would you please? John chapter 13. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Then he foretells, as we've mentioned earlier, of Judas's betrayal. And in John chapter 13, I want you to lay eyes on verse 18, would you? This will change the way you look at that Judas that's in your life. John chapter 13, verse 18, it's a new paragraph, and Jesus says this, I speak not of you all. Here he goes again. I know whom I have chosen. Why? But that the Scripture may be fulfilled. But that the Scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus says, I know one of you is going to betray me. I know this Judas in my life is there for a purpose. And here's the purpose, that the Scripture may be fulfilled. And you might be asking yourself, Oh God, why did you allow this to come into my life? Lord, why did you allow this Judas into my family's life? I want to tell you, I want to tell you, it's that the Scripture might be fulfilled. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. You're thinking to yourself, my life, it's not some prophecy. I'm just a child of God in 2022. That, that's not the point. I'm, I don't need to fulfill. No, no, no. Listen now. You know Romans 8.28. Quote it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His what? Purpose. What's verse 29 say? What's verse 29 say? Listen to verse number 29. Jesus Christ is telling us through His life about verse 29. And verse 29 says, if I can find it in my notes, excuse me, for whom He did foreknow. Talking about our purpose. He also did, big word, predestinate us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you want to know what the whole purpose of your salvation was? Do you want to know what the whole purpose of this Judas in your life is? That the Scripture might be fulfilled. That God might form in you the image of His Son. That you might endure the sufferings of Jesus Christ and esteem them rather than the riches of this world. Why? So that the world might look at you and see the Gospel according to your life. Jesus Christ being formed in you. You've seen this logo across the school. The theme verse of that logo, Galatians 4.19. Pastor has a vision for it, and it's a vision for the school. I dare say it's God's vision for all His children. Until Christ be formed in you. And Christ cannot. Christ cannot be formed in you. God cannot fulfill His ultimate purpose for my salvation in my life unless there are Judases that rise up. Those things that are hurtful. 
those things that nobody else can see, those things that feel like the biggest acts of betrayal, those things that cause you to question God's goodness. Look now, God is using all of those things for your good. Just ask Paul. Paul, what about that thorn in your flesh? That thing that was causing you so much grief and so much pain? He says, I know. He didn't tell us what it was. What could it have been? Some malady? Some problem with his... I don't know. I asked God to remove it multiple times, he says, and yet he realized that that thorn was needful for his life. That problem was needful for his life. Why does he say it in Corinthians? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I think of myself as a young person. I had plans for my life. God had plans for my life, and they were both going in the opposite direction. I wanted to do one thing and fulfill my purpose, and God wanted me to do another. But I was a Christian. I was His child. Therefore, He had predestined me to a greater purpose, that Christ would be formed in me. And when I was just a teenager, these maladies came up in my body that nobody could explain, that doctors originally couldn't recognize. And I thought to myself, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. My dreams are gone. This is a Judas. This is the thing that if I could have it removed, I would get it out of the way so I can do what I want to do. I prayed for it to go away. People around me were praying for it to go away. My family was praying for this to go away. But do you know what God did in His providence? God used that ailment, that Judas, that thorn in my life to get me to the point where I realized I cannot do without thee. To get me to the point where I realized that God has a greater purpose for my life so that Jesus Christ could be formed in me. And I'm not a great example of it, but I want to tell you today, I am a picture of God's grace. And God used a Judas to bring me to the point where I can make Jesus known today. Now my family's going through these issues. And we're, we're just up in fits about it. We don't know what's going on. The doctors can't explain it either. And God brings me to this text. And it looks ugly now. We can't explain it. It's inexplicable. But I know this. As a child of God and my family who are children of God, we can rest in God's purpose. God is using this very thing, this very thorn, this Judas in our lives to make Jesus known. And I tell you, friends, that makes it worth it all. Have you ever seen a tapestry before? They're not as prominent as they used to be. What does it look like on the back of a tapestry? Just a bunch of threads and fabric all over the place. It's ugly. Nobody would ever want a tapestry if it just had the back of it. But what happens when you flip that tapestry around? It's a beautiful picture. I'll take that. I'll give you a lump sum of money for that. Right now, this side of heaven, we're robed in this flesh like Jesus was. All we see is the back of the tapestry. We see those ugly things, those Judases in our lives. And it doesn't make sense. And we try to rationalize it all and trivialize it all because we are human and we are carnal. But you know what God's going to do one day? He's going to take us up into His throne room and He's going to turn aside that tapestry. And we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to see a beautiful representation of Jesus Christ. And He's going to say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not only did you know me, you made me known. And one of the ways we have to make Jesus known is through our suffering. It's through our Judases. So friend, don't be discouraged. Be of good cheer. That Judas in your life, that problem, that thorn, that thing you want God so badly to remove, 
it's needful. God is using it. I'm testifying. God is using it to form Christ in you. God is using it to glorify His Son. That's why He saved you. You can rest in God's purpose. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.